Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast, episode number nine. Today's interview is a little different as I'll be chatting with my good friend, Fita Dahana Ellis, about having several careers across multiple industries and how that is more of the new normal than staying at one organization and climbing the ladder there. In this episode, the Go Find Out is about Fita's personal experience of pursuing new careers at different junctures in her life. And as a recruiter and previous career services coach, she offers great insight into the job applicant screening process, as well as advice for those currently seeking employment who are concerned about a gap in employment on their resume, or for those who are currently forced to take a position in a different field because of a lack of opportunities during the current pandemic of COVID-19. All right, now on to my personal update. So this week has felt pretty busy, although when I really look at it, I probably could have gotten more done, but I think that downtime is also important. Um, So this week, my actually this past weekend, my husband and I cut, washed, and bagged mixed lettuce, spinach, and butterhead lettuce, as well as radishes, and we set them up on our little roadside stand, and we did pretty good on Saturday. You know, not not terribly tons that we sold, but probably, you know, like three or four bags um, of lettuce and like one bunch of radishes. And then we realized that the radishes could not be out in the heat all day long without being, you know, on like ice um, or in a cooler or something along those lines because they got very wilty and we basically an hour into our day, we couldn't sell them. Um, So we pulled those and actually there are several friends around here that are also farmers and homesteaders and they have animals that can eat any of the discarded veggies that we can't sell or that are not really completely edible for humans. So, you know, luckily we are able to get rid of our veggies and they are not necessarily just going into the compost. So we learned our lesson from that. The Sunday, I think we only sold one bag of lettuce. So we were a little disappointed in our weekend, but it was our first weekend. So we're still learning. And, you know, it's, it's hard if you don't have more than just lettuce to sell at a roadside stand. You know, people are really looking for a variety of vegetables. And unfortunately, our garden is at just kind of at different timelines right now for when things are going to be ready. And some of those frosts for us in the beginning of June really set us back on our tomatoes about a month. So we're close now to having tomatoes, which is wonderful. Um, By the time you guys actually listen to this, I think I'm about two or three weeks ahead of schedule right now between when I record and when I actually publish or launch the podcast episode. So by the time you guys listen to this, we'll have lots of tomatoes all ready to sell. On the fiction front, I did actually end up commissioning an ebook cover. So ebook, audio, and print covers um, from a professional graphic artist from Fiverr and um, she did a really great job. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. It makes me feel like I need to go back now and have the ebook cover redone for book one, but I, I'll get book two out there first. <laughs> and then if I need to go back and do book one, I might do that in the future. But I still plan to get out the audio format for both book one of the Artemis Necklace series, which is my Vampire Hunter series, as well as my nonfiction. Um, I want to get my audio out there for Cut the Bullshit, Land the Job. So yeah, I still have a lot of stuff to do on that front, but I'm, I'm 
I'm super stoked. I'm almost finished just kind of wrapping everything up with the sequel to Suck It. So it's called Bite Me, the Artemis Necklace series, book two. And I also just sent out the last draft of Bite Me so that I'll have um, one of the person just kind of read it through. And I'm super excited to actually launch that. As soon as I get my reader's feedback, I'll be able to launch that and actually set it up for pre-orders. So I've never done that. So that'll be kind of cool. And then maybe I can get the folks who initially read it, um, the advanced reader copies, they'll be able to then put reviews on the pre-order copies so that people will be able to see those reviews before the book is even available. So kind of cool stuff. So I'm, I'm still learning as I go. <laughs> I'm sure you guys will hear many more things where I'm like, oh, I should have done this for the launch. And of course, I, I think I mentioned last time that I am learning to also celebrate my successes rather than just finishing a book and then launching into the next one, which I do plan to do, you know, start the next book in the series. It'll be book number three in the Artemis Necklace series. But I am also going to just kind of pause and actually enjoy getting another book out there and, you know, finishing it and launching it. Um, So I have bought some champagne to celebrate with on the day of the launch, which will be July 24th is the day that the book will actually be available. But you can pre-order beforehand if you would like on Amazon. And I think I'm going to be able to set it up on iTunes as well, but we'll we'll see. (laughs) But you can always follow my fiction on jjrussellwrites.com. And um, I will also be offering some free in-between short stories soon if you subscribe to my fiction writer newsletter. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome to the show today. Today will be a little bit different as I'll be speaking with my friend Fita Dahana Ellis, who has over eight years of experience in the employment services and talent acquisitions industry. The focus of today's discussion is really to help you, the listener, to identify your go-find-out when it comes to a career. Fita and I will discuss how career expectations have moved away from working at a single organization for one's entire career and shifted really more to working at several organizations or maybe even transitioning to a new industry during one's career journey. So welcome to the show, Fita. Hi, Jenny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Hopefully we won't get into too many shenanigans today. <laughs> but I, I think it'll be a fun conversation and, and hopefully, you know, informative. Before we kind of get into this too much, um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I, um, if we're talking mostly about my career, I've had a long, long career. Like sometimes I look back at the things that I've done when I was younger and think, oh my gosh, I, that seems like a whole lifetime ago. So um, when I was getting my bachelor's degree in Indonesia, I was actually in, um, I was taking mass media. I think that was the name of the actual degree, like communication, mass media communication. And so I got to meet a lot of people in television. And because I spoke English so well, um, I was invited to do a English learning TV show. And then that transitioned into other things. And so I did get to host a, two television shows. One of the television shows was called Agenda Scola, which loosely translates into school agenda. When I was the host of Agenda Scola, I went to different prestigious high schools in Indonesia. That was a fun show. And that uh, transitioned into another TV show um, that was called Lipstick. The show was shot on the back of a flatbed truck. And I think now back to that, I'm like, that was really dangerous. Like, I don't know if you know about traffic in Indonesia, like that could have ended really poorly. But at the time, I was whatever, 21, 22, you know, at that age, nothing's going to happen to you, right? And then from there, I transitioned. I did. I was a news anchor. I did that for six months because I felt like 
my whole, I felt like when I got that news anchor job, this is it. This is all the small, tiny, fun shows that I've been doing. Like when I did the lipstick show, I actually got to interview Def Leppard. I got to interview some European bands. Like it was really fun. Yeah. But then I got this anchor job. It was a weekend anchor for this news show. And it was the very first one of its kind. It was one of the first private, because uh, back then it was just like state-run television. And then I got this like as one of the first private television stations. I was super excited to get the job, basically. And then I got it. And then five months into it, I was like, well, this is not what I thought it was going <laughs> to be. It was definitely super, it was very hard work. Mm. It was a lot of, you know, especially Indonesia is very different, obviously, from the States for many different reasons. But I remember as a new reporter, one of some of the things that I had to do was there was someone who broke into someone's house in this area in Indonesia. And so like the the people around that area got him and beat him to death. I had to go to like the morgue and like, and I was kind of like, you know what, this is not for me. I am, if you know me, like Jenny, you're my really good friend. So, you know, that's not me. Mm-hmm. I want to be out there. I want to have fun. I want, and so, you know, after six months, I quit. And that was the, you know, and to me, that was the first time. The other TV shows, I did those until the contract ended. This was really the first job that I quit. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was still in college and I, you know, I was a weekend anchor. So therefore my whole weekend was just doing that. And, you know, when you're in your twenties, you want to go out and do fun stuff. Right. And so that was the first time I quit. Then I went on the production side. So we produced at the television quiz show in Indonesia. And then after that, we decided that I wanted to go to the States to get my MBA. So I was actually born in New York. So I was a U.S. citizen. I am a U.S. citizen. So I went back to Hawaii to get my master's degree. The plan had always been just to get the master's degree and go back to Indonesia. But then I found myself staying there. And then there I was doing all kinds of public relation jobs, advertising jobs. We did some video production kind of all over the place. And, you know, at that time, once again, I really felt like, wow, this is so much fun. This is really, really what I wanted to do. I had a good trajectory going on in my career. And then I met my service member husband. And that's when really, I mean, I lost control of my career pretty much to put it to put it bluntly. Right. You know, if you, if you, I mean, you are a military spouse, so you, you know the drill. Right. You know, you, you get married to someone and then, you know, your life is no longer your own, you know. But I will say, even though we went through that rough patch, kind of going from marketing to PR, that field, into what I do now, kind of employment services and also on the recruiting side, this career or what I'm doing now, and, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the organization where I'm doing it, is definitely a lot more fulfilling than all the fun stuff that I used to do when I was a lot younger. Mm. So you have really experienced three major career shifts. Yes. You went from television slash production to the marketing side after getting your MBA, and then now you're on the employment services side. So what do you think of the idea of like a career ladder or like a single industry focus for today's professionals and maybe really even focusing more on today's female professionals? You know, I think that for me, that maybe was really never in my books, like the career ladder, because I felt like what I thought I wanted to do when I was younger was really not what I wanted to do, or maybe it was good for me at that time. And so to me, I would say that if you're lucky enough to have a passion for something and you're lucky enough to be able to do that, something that you have a passion for, absolutely, you know, stay in on that path. But really for everyone else, you know, go find out, just take your podcast and find out what it is that you have a passion about, find out what it is that you excel in, find out what it is that, that brings you that fulfillment, especially females, definitely for sure. 
you know, I'm I'm a child of the 80s, right? So for me growing up, in my mind, the, the career, especially in Indonesia, right, the career path for a female was, okay, so you're going to work in marketing or public relations, or you're going to work in the media, or you're going to be a doctor, but it, it wasn't, you know, I never thought of someone like a female was that was going to be high ranking in politics, or, you know, it's just a very different, very different role. But, you know, in today's world, really, you can do what you want. If you're in a career, there's no such thing as too late. Like you can't say, you know what, I've done six years in marketing. I don't want to throw this away. I, you know, if, if it doesn't make you happy, if you don't like it anymore, go find out what it is that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pursue that. That kind of ties into my next question of the job hopper, right? So if you're not happy with one position, you know, try another. And, you know, being a job hopper is defined as someone who jumps from position to position and doesn't stay at any one organization for a long period of time. Are there certain things that you look for, you know, as a recruiter now in a resume to kind of better identify if someone is a job hopper as opposed to like somebody who's gone to a different position to get experience? I don't know, Jenny, you're the job hopper. You tell me. I'm just kidding. I I am the job hopper. I've had 28 jobs, I think now, maybe 29 if you count Podcaster. So yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I would say when I'm looking at a resume, especially as you know, I work at, um, I work at Wounded Warrior Project. So we do hire a lot of veterans. We do hire a lot of military spouses. So the first thing I do really, when I look at that, those resumes is I look at where the location is. Mm. So a lot of times it'll be like, okay, 2015 to 2017, Honolulu, Hawaii, let's say. And then there's like a big lag. And then 2018 to 2020, you know, Fort Campbell, Kentucky or something like that. Then I know, okay, this person probably is falling around their spouse who was active duty at their time. So I, I look at that. I also look at the definitely the location and, and then the time between jobs and also the type of position. I don't really believe that a resume tells everything, right? You know what I mean? Like I, when we were still in career services, you know, you know, you and I used to teach this together. It's always like, dude, the resume isn't really the end all be all. Just make it as good as you can make it try to really represent who you are. However, you get the job from the interview. And so really, that's mostly what I look for. I look for the time. And, you know, if there's a if there's a job gap, I take a look. OK, did this person go back to school? And then if there really is a question, then, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll screen people and then they'll say, oh, if you see there's a light, you know, there's a big, there's a big hole in my resume. I was blah, blah, blah. And they, they, they're so excited to give me an explanation of why they were not employed for a year. And truthfully, if you are qualified enough, I really don't care about that because I understand that, you know, stuff happens, right? You move, you get sick, you have to take care of your significant other, your child, your mom, what, what you know, you need to take time for yourself. You know, I, I, that's not something that I really stress out about. Now, if there's like a weird, there's a six year lag here, right? maybe that, that'll be a little bit like, huh, I wonder what happened here. But even then, that's just not something that I have a big concern about most of the time. Mm-hmm. But if I see something like eight months here, eight months there, Ooh, four months here, three months there, then I'm like, okay, maybe this is someone who just isn't good working at one place. But then also, I, you know, I have to look because people take contracts too now. Like in this day and age, a lot of people just do contracts. My recommendation is if that really is just a contract where you put in like, you know, September 2019 to January 2020, you know, make sure you put in parentheses contract. So I understand, oh, okay, you know, you worked at this job and it was a contract and you likely left right when the contract ended. Mm, okay. And to kind of follow up on that, would you have a recommendation? You know, a lot of people today, especially like younger folks from like their 20 to 30s are like, I'm going to go travel. And so they maybe take a year off to travel and then they come back and try to get that into the workforce. Would you recommend that they put that on their resume or maybe even just address it in a cover letter so that they are addressing that year of gap so there's no questions and that way they can get into the interview? You know, I would address it in the cover letter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's so hard to say, though. It really depends. 
Like if, if you got out of college and then you took a year to, you know, find yourself, I wouldn't even address it. I would just, you know, college, I graduated college in 2018 and it's 2029. I'm looking for work. I wouldn't even acknowledge it because as a recruiter, if I'm looking at that, I'm making assumptions, right? I'm like, okay, maybe during this time, this person just worked at, I don't know, uh, a bath and body works and then went to go to work at McDonald's. And then, you know, so maybe that's not something that they want to necessarily put on their resume. But I, I don't think now if it's like, hey, I have five years of solid work experience and then two year gap, then maybe that's something you want to put in your your cover letter. You know, after taking a two year whatever in after hiking the Swiss Alps for two years, I've decided to come back and look for work, you know, but it, it really it all of that stuff. I think now too, like career advice isn't how it used to be where it's super black and white. Everything now is so situational. It's so different from certainly how I grew up, you know, trying to apply for work and thinking about what my career, what what an ideal career history looks like. And on the employment services side, what would you say were the biggest things that held your clients back from their dream position? Themselves. Uh, <laughs> I would. <laughs> I mean, yes. I would, yeah, I definitely. One of the biggest things is really just fear of the unknown. Mm. Like I've seen where people have done that. People are so set into a career or set into this is what I usually do that, you know, oh, you know, I want to do that. But I don't know if that's something good for me. You know, again, in an ideal world where you're able to, I think you should definitely take those chances and do that job, even though you're a little worried about it. But I understand, like, in our reality, it's not like I can be like, you know what, I'm going to go leave this job that's paying me $50,000 and I'm pretty stable and I'm going to do this thing that I really love and it's only going to pay me $10 an hour. You know, I understand that. But I feel like the biggest thing is really that, that person, like themselves, whether it's, you know, they're afraid to learn something new or they, you know, they're afraid that all this hard work that they've already invested in this other career that they've done for the last five, six, whatever years, you know, I got to start over again. And it's scary. Definitely. I mean, when I left the marketing industry in, in Hawaii, I was super bummed because that is an industry, especially if you know Hawaii, it's such a small place that everybody knows everybody. So, you know, I definitely felt that was home. I definitely felt like I'm never really going to have a hard time looking for work. And then when my husband got orders to Fort Campbell, we ended up there. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Right. I had to start to do something different. So I think if you're able to get comfortable with what's uncomfortable, you know, you'll, you'll be able to, to experience a lot more things. So maybe not taking the risks and kind of holding them back. Yeah. And kind of on the flip side of that, were there any habits that you noticed in clients that have helped them land the positions that they wanted? I think that the thing that helps people the most really is a good attitude. It's, it's weird and it seems so, you know, I mean, I work, the organization I work for really for us, right? It's all about that culture fit. Right. So it doesn't matter if you are highly, highly uh, qualified, you have three MBAs, two PMP certificate, what, whatever it is. But if it doesn't, doesn't seem like you have a good attitude, it doesn't seem like you're humble and hungry, and it doesn't seem like you're going to fit into the, the group, it really, it doesn't matter, right? So the biggest thing is really that positive can-do attitude, you know, and that's easy for me to say, because I will say when I was looking for work in Tennessee, that was probably a really dark time for me, because as someone who's used to just working all the time, to all of a sudden, I was, I was out of work for about maybe two years, something like that. I can't remember now, but it was really stressful for me. I was at home by myself with the two young kids. You know, my husband's off doing army stuff. Sometimes he's in the field. He's gone from the home two or three days and I didn't 
didn't have anyone to talk to really except the two kids. And, you know, I am really glad that I did have that time to spend with them. But, you know, I applied for so many jobs. I never got any interviews. And and looking back at it now, that actually, I ended up being a substitute teacher, which I really did not like that job. That was not, it was not for me. You know, I will say there's a special place in heaven for all teachers, especially elementary school teachers, especially substitute teachers. It's a lot of hard work. It was just not a good fit for me. It was, you know, I, one of the things I wanted to do by working was I wanted to get away from my kids. But what ended up happening is, right, I would get away from my kids and have to deal with other people's children. Oh, yeah. And so it wasn't really giving me the break (laughs) that I wanted. And what, you know, I will say that six months as a substitute teacher, Although it was really rough, you know, I did, I got to go. I was so sick, Jenny, all the damn time. I got sick all the time. I've never, ever had, I've, I've never been that sick before. Like, you know, it, it was just all the time. And, um, but I did that for six months and then I started applying for different positions. And that's the other thing, right? That's the big irony of job search. It's always easier to get a job when you're employed. It's really annoying, but that's just the truth. Right. And so when I did that, that's when I, I saw the, the offer at Circle, right? I applied for the job and that was to be a career counselor. And I remember I actually got hired part time. And then the full time person that they brought in, she lasted a week. Now. <laughs> and so I remember like, okay, I'm part-time, sure, fine, whatever. At least it's a real job. It, you know, it has benefits, whatever. I was I was very excited just to do something, right? Right. To be back and working again. Because yeah. you went from, you know, working full time yeah. in Hawaii to moving to Fort Campbell and then not working and just being home with the kids and yeah. that just wasn't your thing. No, it just wasn't my yeah. thing. So, you know, even though it was it was not what I was used to. It was definitely not something that I've ever experienced before. It was very, it was was interesting. We're just going to say that. (laughs) However, I found my passion. Like I realized, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to help these guys. You know, at that time, there was a big push um, to get a lot of military people out of the military. That's a big drawdown. And so, you know, I learned in that job to deal with um, people who were upset, people who were worried. I got, but I also got to deal with people who were just very thankful for my help in getting them a new job. So, you know, it, it really, that job gave me so much more fulfillment than when I was working in marketing and then we did a successful launch and 500 people attended our launch, but really it didn't really fulfill me. Do you know what I mean? So if I look back at it, that substitute teacher job was really the key to doing what I'm doing now. And, you know, I mean, you know, you were there at ACAP with me. And that's the other thing too, like my time at ACAP, the one thing that I'll take away from, I guess, too, is my friends, because there's that thing that when you bond in a situation that's super stressful or not ideal, kind of like prison, you know, (laughs) you get together with your friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You get, you make really good friends. And, you know, a lot of people that I was friends with at that job, I'm still friends with now. And because of that job, I'm able to work what what I do now. I was able to find like, hey, this is what I have a passion for. This is what I want to do. And from there, you know, I got to work at Wounded Warrior Project. And this has really been like, I love this job. I love this organization. It's done so much for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes your road isn't just straight. Sometimes it's bumpy. Sometimes it goes left and right. Sometimes you make a U-turn and that's okay. Just keep working hard. Just keep at it. Just keep having that positive attitude that, you know, just keep working harder. And, you know, the big thing I hate the most is when people complain and then they don't do anything to change it. Mm. I hate that. Like, that is so... We, we actually, it. we had that conversation while we were at ACAP slash Circo. Oh. I don't know if you remember that, but there was uh, several ladies in one office and we found that we were all coming in and just complaining 
Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. We're like, listen, dudes. Yeah. So then we had to have a moment of like, man, we are not, we're not making it better by complaining about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's okay to vent and complain about things, but if you're doing it all the time, then it doesn't help your your mental health, I think. Um, So you're right. You're right. Like do something to change it. Yes. And you know, that's what I did. So we lived in Clarksville, which is an hour away from Nashville. So originally I had applied to a job in Nashville, but when I was applying to the job in Nashville, I was informed about an opportunity in Honolulu. And you know, I told my husband, like, okay, well, if I get the job in Nashville, I'm going to have to drive an hour every day into Nashville. Like, who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to drop them off at the childcare place? You know what? Who's going to pick them up? Like, if I'm going to spend all, I'm going to be so grumpy. You know what I mean? Like, so I was really worried about it. But then, you know, he and I talked about it. And I was like, okay, you know what? You've done everything that you can in your current job. Really, you you know, you've done your service, you know, quote unquote service. You've, you, you know, there's not really, there were not, as you know, it, it wasn't like there was a lot of room for advancement with that job. Right. And so, it was kind of like, okay, I, I did it for two years now. You know what? I'm just going to apply for this job and I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I said, you know what? They have a job in Hawaii. I'm going to apply for that too. And at that time, I really, I really never thought that I was going to get the job. Not really. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, as you know, I'm not someone who is that super self-assured. Like I would never say I've never applied to a job that I didn't get. Or I would never say I'm so confident I'm going to get this job. I would, that's not me. I do want to kind of come back to that you had no inkling to pursue employment services. Right. And then you saw the position with Circo slash ACAP. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of wondering, actually, what, what made you apply for that? Because like, I know what made me apply for it, like my degrees in mental health counseling, and I had a course in career counseling. Oh. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know, this kind of goes along with that. I feel like I'm qualified enough to apply. And, and also the only real qualification for that was having a master's degree. But I'm wondering, like, what prompted you to apply for that position? I'm going to be completely honest. At that time, it was during a recession, I believe. And then, like, you know, I had been applying for jobs forever and I didn't even get an interview. So truthfully, at that time, going into the job, there's several things. The first thing is, OK, I'm going to be a career counselor for transitioning um, soldiers. My husband was in the process of getting out in the military of the military. So I thought, you know, I have I can relate a little bit, at least on the spouse side. And then, you know, I've had many, many different careers, you know, from different fields, different careers in different countries, right? So really, that was that was the main reason why. And then I remember that I didn't get the job the first time. The person that was going to be my manager called and she said, hey, you know, we've already given this position away, but I really want to get to talk to you. So we talked a little bit on the phone. And then the, when the position became open again, because as you know, there was a lot of, because there was a lot of spouses and such that, that definitely people were coming in and out of that position. And so when the second time it came around, I was really excited. I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I remember that one of the things was presentations and I'm like, dude, I do presentations all the time. This is going to be easy. I, th- I think it was a combination of really, it's not like there are a lot of things out there. Secondly, I really did feel like, hey, I have something to, I have something that I can share with these guys because my husband is in the whole process. I know how stressful it is. Right. So yeah, that's the reason. I think that's really interesting because had you not gone for it, right? Had you not been like, you know what, I'm going to apply for this. You know, I, I think I can do it. Then you might never have discovered that passion for service. Correct. Oh yeah. It's definitely, if you keep an open mind, if you, you know, if you take those opportunities that are out there, you know, it's really weird. Because if you think about it, really, 
really my journey into this career started off with my six very stressful months as a substitute teacher. Right. If I had never done that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And looking back at that substitute teacher job, that was probably one of the hardest jobs that I've ever had to do. It, you know, it wasn't, I was not a good fit for that position. So yeah, it is very interesting how the universe, if you will, mm-hmm. leads you down that path, right? And that kind of leads me kind of into my next question a little bit. So right now, um, we're still kind of dealing with massive unemployment due to COVID-19. What would your suggestions be for somebody who is not able to work in their normal industry right now? You know, one of the things that I saw a lot when I was helping people apply for work, that there was this big fear of being pigeonholed in a specific position. I said this over and over again to several of my clients. This next job might not be ideal. This is probably not your dream job, but it's a job. My big thing is don't ever feel like a job that you're applying for or a job that you're doing, it doesn't define you as a human being. You know, a lot of times you just do a job because you have to do the job. So don't, you don't need to internalize it. It doesn't mean that, hey, I'm a substitute teacher now and that's all I'm going to ever have to be. Or, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing construction now, which is what I never wanted to do. And it doesn't, doesn't define you as a person. Do what you need to do. If anything, the the fact that you know it, the fact that you're doing those different things, doing things out of your comfort zone, is is a good thing. Even from from like a recruiter standpoint, because I've seen it, I'm like, oh, I see here you did something a little bit different. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And you know they'll say, well, at that time I was doing this one job, and then you know the job went away, I got laid off, and ended up doing this other thing. And I definitely would say, just do what you need to do. Don't be afraid that this next job, even if it's not ideal for you, it's it really it's not going to define you as a person. You can find your way out of that job. Just do what you need to do. Do the best that you can do at it. Try to enjoy yourself. Try to to look at the good side. You know, at least you have a job in a time when people a lot of people don't have jobs. But at the same time, don't give up on your job search. Just keep looking. Keep you know keep finding that different position, and hopefully you'll be able to transition into something that that's a better suit for you once the economy picks up. So we talked about that you, you know, you left ACAP slash Serco, um, but when you left ACAP for, you know, an awesome opportunity that took you to Hawaii, which I think was so awesome. Um, and I really appreciated it when you lived there because I went to visit and you <laughs> took me around, which was lovely. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I remember that it was a really big deal to management that you were leaving ACAP. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience and how you dealt with moving on to a new position while maintaining a positive relationship with your old employer? You know, I want to say that my manager at that time was actually very supportive. I think she was a little stressed out at the same time. I think that for her, that it was such a weird, because if you think about it, I was applying for a job in Hawaii from Clarksville, Tennessee. Like that just doesn't seem like something that you could do. So, you know, I, I remember when I put in my resignation, she was surprised by it, if you will. She's a little bit like, oh, what? You're going back to Hawaii. But, you know, I have always been able to maintain a good relationship with her. We've had this conversation with all of our friends. You have to know how to play the game. If you're going to wor- work in the corporate world, you have to know how to play the game. Here's the thing about the game. It's a game that everyone plays, but the rules aren't really clear. The game has different rules for different people that you're dealing with. And I think one of my strengths as a person is to know, okay, this is how this person wants me to play that game, right? And so I was able, because I had such a good relationship with her, you know, our kids were the same age. And, you know, I, a lot of times, even though there were things that maybe I wasn't happy about, I never truly showed it, if you will. Like I, you know, I would express it, but I was definitely at, especially at that time, there are so many different things that I wasn't super happy about in that job. 
job, but because I focused on what was what I did like about that job, I think that was how I played the game there, right? And so, you know, I I was able to maintain a good relationship. I was able to, you know, till the very end, do my job. It's not like I checked out. I still worked really hard. And I think that to me was what made me have that good relationship. Because as you know, with my manager, I'm still in touch with her. Like she actually came to Hawaii and I took her around the island. And, you know, it was nice to talk to her kind of like as friends instead of, oh, she's my manager, right? I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. Yeah, I think it was just initially the, the shock that you were leaving because, I mean, you you are always, uh, you know, a really hard worker and you always get the job done. And one of those people in the office that our manager knew that if something needed doing, like you would be the person that she would come to. But, you know, Jenny, I'm, I'm good. I'm a I'm a good relationship builder and maintainer anyways. So I don't think that really um, that was such a big challenge for me. My first manager at WWP, when he hired me, he told me, hey, you know, he was out of Nashville and I was going to be in Hawaii. There's only really three hours, three to four hours of overlap time where he and I are going to be in the office together. I remember what he told me was, Fita, basically, I'm hiring you to run your own small business in Hawaii. I don't care what your hours are. I don't care what you need to do. I, you know, just keep me in the loop. Let me know, hey, this is how I want to, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Here are some goals that you need to do. Here are some things that have made other people successful. I want you to just go and run with it and make it your own. What advice would you have for somebody who feels like they've hit a ceiling in their current department at an organization that they love? Once again, I would say it's situational, but I think to me, the biggest, because I had a lot of good friends within the organization for me, the, the biggest thing that helped me make this transition was really just talking to other teammates, you know, talking about, hey, what is it like there in Jacksonville? You know, you know what? What are the pros and cons of living there? You know, that type of stuff. So I guess I would say the best thing that you can do is probably just don't be afraid to ask for help. I know sometimes people get so like, I can do it myself or I don't need anyone's help or maybe they're embarrassed to ask for help. Just ask for help because, you know, I, I did I did not want to leave that opportunity in Hawaii. Like I've been doing it for five years. It was super easy for me. I just, it was, it was working from home. My kids school literally across the street. It was such an easy life. It was doing something I was really passionate about. But then, you know, I thought about it. I'm like, this is it. Is, is this going to be my whole life just doing this thing? You know, and after five years of doing the same thing, you kind of, you want to do something different, right? And so I really had to think about, you know, this is, it, it's a lateral move, but it's in a completely different thing. And right now I'm a, I'm a SME, a subject matter expert on the team, right? I know if you remember, it'd always be like, Pito, you know, can you share with what your best practices are? Blah, blah, you know, I, that's very different from now being the new person. So it was, I was, a, you know, I'd been there for a while. I was the one when people were new, they would call me, ask for help. I would try to mentor them. I, you know, I, I definitely felt like the person that people would ask for help going into this role where now I'm the new kid on the block. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. That's, that was really hard too. I'm not going to lie to you. It was, it was hard to be the person to ask for help. And that's kind of coming back to it, right? Like the biggest thing is my advice is just ask for help, ask for advice. Don't be afraid. Sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. You know, like I realized that I'm, I didn't necessarily take a step back. I, I stepped to the side, if you will. However, you know, like I, I've had people ask me, hey, why did you take this job? Like technically, this is kind of like it's not really a pro, it's not really progressing in your career. But for me, the opportunity to now work at headquarters, opportunity to see how things work here. And, you know, it just opens up a lot, new, a lot of different doors for me, which is what I'm hoping will happen, you know, now now that I'm here headquarters. So, you know, don't be afraid to, to take a step back. Don't be afraid to take steps to the side. Don't be afraid to pivot. Just don't be afraid to take chances within reason. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and 
And to kind of um, close out, what recommendations or advice would you give to women who are, you know, they're married, they have kids, but they're also trying to sort of chase their career? And I know there's so much advice you could potentially give. So, you know, don't feel like it's the one piece of advice, like what one piece of advice would you give, but knowing that there are many other pieces of advice that you could potentially give to. So no pressure is what I'm saying. Oh my God. So uh, some advice to someone basically trying to have it all. Is yeah, that what you're saying, much, yeah. right? <laughs> So, <laughs> so I, you know, probably to me, the biggest thing is you are usually your own worst critic. It's okay. You are not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. You, you know what I mean? And just do the best that you can do. As long as at the end of the day, you can say to yourself, you know what? I wasn't perfect today. I yelled at my son. I wish I hadn't done that, but you know what? It's okay. I'm going to learn from that. You know, I just try to do the best that you can do. I, people, you, cause you cannot have it all. You're not going to be the perfect mom. You're not going to be the perfect leader. You're not going to, you're, you're human, right? So probably my biggest, but I don't, I don't want to say don't take yourself too seriously, but you know, it's kind of like, Hey man, take a look at the bigger picture. You know what I, what I mean? It's that don't let one mistake define you. Don't let one bad day make you feel guilty. And you know, it's easy for me to say that. Yeah, don't make a mistake, make you feel guilty. The truth is, especially women, right, Jenny, mm-hmm. we say something four years ago. And now I'm still like, wow, I really probably should not have said that to that person at that all the time. Yep. Right. But you know, don't, you don't, don't just don't beat yourself up. Just whatever happens, whatever stumbling block happens, you know, just pick yourself up, try, you know, try again, try to maintain that good attitude. And here's the thing too. I always say, try to have a good attitude, try to be, you know, try to just think positively. You know what? If you're having a shitty day, have a shitty day. If you need to cry, if you need to get mad, if you need to yell into a pillow, we have a punching bag here now because I don't get that. You know, when I was in Hawaii, I went to that gym where I punched a lot. Right. And so, you know, it is okay to have a bad day. It's okay to want to punch and kick and scream, you know, get yourself a punching bag, get your aggression out, but then kind of let it like wash over you, learn what you can from it, pick up, pick yourself up and, you know, get back at it. Right. And again, it's easy for me to say that word, those words. I know that in reality, it's not that cut and dry it's not that simple but I think you know just don't 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 beat up on yourself remember that you're always your worst critic you know it's okay to have a bad day but just keep just keep trucking really just keep just keep doing the best that you can that's especially in this in these crazy times Jennifer everything's so crazy right now like just keep doing the best that you can that's really all you can do because you don't have control over anything else you just have control over you that's what you should be focusing on Mm, yeah no that's really great advice Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Fita. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Fita today. When we get together, there are usually a lot of shenanigans, so this interview was actually pretty tame by our regular standards. Something that really kind of stuck out to me during this interview, I mean, there are quite a few moments that I think are really great takeaways, but the one that really stuck out to me the most was, it was kind of a funny moment, but it's when Fita answered my question of what tends to hold back job applicants, and she said themselves. I would actually also add that this is doubly so with female applicants. During my eight years of providing career coaching, I repeatedly found myself coaching women to have more confidence to actually apply for positions that, to me, they were clearly qualified for. What I saw over and over was that female applicants saw that they met 70% of a job description and they wouldn't bother to apply because they didn't think that they were qualified enough to be considered. However, when most of my male applicants looked at job descriptions, they would apply for jobs that they weren't even 50% qualified for, right? And I'm not saying that that's wrong, 
that they shouldn't necessarily apply for positions that they're only 50% qualified for, but it definitely shows you a difference in kind of the way that men and women tend to approach the job application process. I think that in this instance, we need to really take a page out of the male applicant's book. Now, I'm definitely not saying that you should go around applying for every single job, but do make sure that you're not talking yourself out of the job because you don't meet some of the desired qualifications. So one of the methods that I used to deal with this issue in myself and that I recommend for my clients was I actually like to print out or copy and paste the job description into a Word document. And then I'll read through the description while highlighting all of the duties and responsibilities that match up to my previous experience. And that way, when I look at the finished highlights, if a lot of the job description is highlighted, then that tells me that I should apply for that job. If you are struggling to determine if you actually meet the qualifications or not for a position, I know it sounds really silly, but go through each qualification and the listed duties or or responsibilities and ask yourself, have I done this? Then see if you can come up with an example of when you've performed that task in a previous paid or volunteer position. And honestly, the really great thing about doing this right up front is that once you apply and, you know, cross your fingers, hopefully get the interview, you'll actually remember those examples that you thought up while looking at the job description when you're in the interview and they ask you, you know, a question that has to do with that duty, responsibility, or experience. If you're currently looking for more help with any part of the job search process, you can always check out my articles at evergrowthcoach.com forward slash blog. I've also written a guide called Cut the Bullshit, Land the Job, where I've really tried to cover anything you could possibly need to know about the job search, application process, and interview process, uh, including writing a resume, which I include free templates for, and how to professionally network, and salary negotiation best practices. I also really tried to keep the book kind of fun because I don't know about you guys, but I get bored with those cut and dry textbook-like career guides. So I, I try to, you know, put a little life into it and make it more interesting. And I also include a ton of examples for each section. So it's not just, you should do this and then, you know, hope that you understand what I mean. Um, I give lots of different examples from a lot of different industries. And that way it's not just focused on one particular industry. If you're interested in that book, you can find it at any retail locations where ebooks are sold, or you can also purchase the print copy of Cut the Bullshit, Land the Job in print form from Amazon. I'll make sure to drop a link in the show notes for the book. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hopefully there were not too many shenanigans. We do get a little silly. I would love to hear what stood out to you guys during today's show. You can tweet that to me at GFO Podcast. Make sure to join me next week for a solo episode, so a little bit different than normal, in which I'll actually be talking about the first step to go find out, which is figuring out what it actually is that you want to go find out about. This is definitely something that I've seen a lot of women struggle with, trying to figure out, you know, what goals should they go after? What are their actual dreams? And which one maybe should they pursue first if they have several? So I'll be covering that and providing actionable steps for you to figure out what you want to go find out about. All right. See you next week. And I hope in between that you ladies go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own go find out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at GFO Podcast or follow me on Instagram at GoFindOutPodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out.